guys, welcome to the More Than Mom podcast. I'm your host, MJ Cash, and your new mom BFF. And guess what? You get me without any awkward playground small talk. On this podcast, we'll be covering everything we possibly can to help you thrive in all of your roles, not just as mother, but as wife, woman, and individual with your own passions and dreams. I hope that you'll choose to continue along this journey with us as we all begin to figure out how to become more than mom. Good morning, everyone, and happy Wednesday. I'm so excited to be back here with you guys this week with a fantastic interview episode of the More Than Mom podcast. Um, it's been an interesting week here at the Cash Household. I know a lot of you guys follow along on Instagram with us, and man, we have had quite the potty training escapades that have unfortunately ended in, I won't call it failure, but uh, it hasn't ended in success. It's been uh, put on hold for a little bit at least. And um, there honestly hasn't been a whole lot more going on because that has taken all of our attention. And uh, I actually think I've lost quite a few Instagram followers over it. My content got real boring there for about a week. But everything is good now. We are um, recovering from potty training PTSD and um, we have regressed to pull-ups and hopefully uh, in a month or two she'll be more ready and we'll be great. But uh, in the meantime, I'm looking forward to getting back to my normal routine of doing house projects and getting a little bit more ahead on these podcasts and doing some more business work. So um, it's been a good time. It's been a good time. It's been a good, messy time over here. But one of the things we did get to do this week, though, even in the midst of potty training, although that (laughs) that lended for a funny story in this, but we got to have finally our CPR class with Jamie. Jamie Wilhite was... um, my episode number five interview. She is a CPR instructor here locally in Middle Tennessee out of Mount Juliet. And um, I had her over. She's incredible. I had her over and hosted a little girls night for um, some moms in my community. And we all got CPR certified, which is awesome because it's, man, I just feel like guys, it has to be the most overlooked skill out there. Literally anyone can be certified. It takes, it takes a single day, it takes a few hours really, it takes $65 and you can be certified to save a life and it was just crazy to me. I don't think, I don't know what the percentage is, I hope it's higher than I think it is, but I would have to guess that most people aren't CPR certified and you know, you can become a parent anytime, you can be anyone in the world and you can become a parent And there's no training required. There's no um, courses you have to take. And so all these people are handed babies and they have no ability to save their life, no training on how to save their life if it's necessary. And that's something that after I interviewed Jamie, you know, I was CPR certified before having kids, but I hadn't renewed it since, since giving birth to them. And after talking with her on that podcast, I just thought, man... This has to be the most overlooked skill um, out there for anyone, but especially for parents. You know, we are entrusted with these children and we obviously want to do everything we can to keep them alive, 
obviously, um, but to keep them safe and to and to protect them. And yet the skill is out there. And, and I don't think enough people take the time and, and, and the small bit of energy that it requires to schedule a class and to budget for $65 and and get certified in it. And it's amazing. You know, you learn CPR for both infants, children, and adults. You learn the Heimlich for both infants and children and adults. It's just... It's just an incredible course, and Jamie does an extremely good job if you're local um, to Middle Tennessee. She's amazing. She can come to your house. You can have up to 12 people, and it's just, it's just, it really is incredible, and it's such a way to empower yourself as a human being. It's amazing, and to know that, you know, if anything happens to my kids, but also if just anything happens in general, and we are anywhere in the world, if we're out in public, that should someone need me, I am you know, as prepared as I can be for a situation like that and can hopefully, you know, save a life to the extent of, of keeping someone alive or keeping their blood pumping long enough for, for emergency personnel to get there. And I just, I, I want to host another one and another one and another one because I really just believe in what Jamie's doing. I believe in her mission to um, get people CPR certified and she CPR certifies everyone but I think she has a, a, a special heart for moms because she saved her own child's life using CPR. And I just think it's incredible that she's empowering mothers with this skill and uh, has, has started a little bit of her own, you know, personal mission to, to, to be the teacher in that and to be the instructor in that and to help moms um, learn the skill set so that more babies can be saved. It's admirable and, and it's incredible. And, and I know that me and the other couple moms that were able to be there for this class at 6 p.m. on a Friday night, feel much more empowered just having the skill set and, and feel much more prepared to care for our children. And that's just, that, you know, that's that's invaluable for us. So I'll be talking about that more on uh, my Instagram feed this week. And um, I'll just be showing up there a lot more in general <laughs> now that our, our household's kind of gone back to normal a little bit. So you can expect to find me over there. And if you're not already following along, you can find me at Mrs. MJ Cash on Instagram. Today on the podcast, I have a friend of mine from actually one of my mom's groups. She is an incredible human being. She's wonderful. She actually approached me because I didn't know the background of her story. I've only known her for um, maybe a couple of months now. And she came up to me after our group meeting one day and, and told me a little bit about her background and her and her husband's testimony. And um, she knew I, I ran a podcast and that my goal was really to bring awareness and support to moms going through different circumstances. And uh, after I heard her testimony, I just said, absolutely. Like, Katie, we have to have you on. And I know that what Katie went through, Katie was the spouse of an addict. And that's a unique circumstance, but not so unique that I don't think there's other people out there listening to this right now that are also going through it. (laughs) In fact, I know that there are. And the thing about addiction in general is that there's a lot of shame that comes with it and because of that like many things that come with shame it often gets navigated silently 
And so most of us will even have people in our life who are currently going through this and they don't have resources. They don't know other people who have gone through it. They don't have a support system because of the shame that surrounds it and, and that silences them. And I really hope that this is an interview and that this is this is an episode that gives people out there who are needing it a resource, a community, that they feel heard and that they feel understood, that it gives them some direction in navigating something like this, and that it gives the rest of us that maybe don't have a, a personal seat to... Um, life within a household of an addict, that we're able to kind of just get, you know, get more understanding around what it's like to be trapped with an addiction and to be a, a loving family member of someone who's trapped with an addiction. And one thing I will say is um, I actually go more in depth into some of our marital struggles um, that we've had in the past in this episode because one thing I thought was really interesting that surprised me about my conversation with Katie is how much I related to what she was talking about even though we've never struggled with addiction. And I think many of you will find that if you've had low points in your marriage, if you've had um, moments of or seasons of extreme disconnection in your marriage, you know, you don't have to be an addict to go through the tests that Katie and her husband Adam have gone through. And, you know, it's not it's not a test that I wish on anybody. I know it's not a test that Katie wishes on anybody, but it comes in many different forms. For for me and my marriage, it was it was disconnection. It was what I would call depression, um, although never diagnosed. It can come in the form of alcoholism. It can come in the form of being a drug addict. It can come in the form of affairs. It can come in many forms, guys. But the relatable root of it is marital disconnect. And I think many people are going to be able to relate to that. I think many people are going to be able to pull out some really, really important takeaways from Katie's perspective and from Katie's experience. And I think no matter who you are, listening to Katie's story is, is at the very least, at the very minimally, just extremely interesting. She's a great storyteller. She really allows herself um, to be vulnerable in order to share her and Adam's testimony, which I'm so appreciative of. And because of her vulnerability, you really are able to get invested into their story and and, and to really um, put yourself as much as you can in their shoes and to really feel what they were feeling as as best as you can without having to go through it yourself. So thank you to Katie for being so open and honest. Thank you to Adam for um, allowing her to be so open and honest and um, and, and to share your guys' story openly and honestly and and impacting so many along the way. So I have no doubt this will be a, a favorite episode of many people. It's It really is a great conversation. I adore Katie for having it with me and I really value our time together that we spent in my office uh, recording this. So Without further ado, enjoy my friend, Katie Comer.
All right, I'm sitting down today with Katie Comer. She is another mom that I have met through my many, many moms groups that I seem to get plugged into around here. And Katie, you actually reached out to me and just, I didn't know your personal story. I didn't know your guys' marital story, um, but it's something that I definitely wanted. Once you told me about it, I definitely wanted to feature on the podcast because one of the things that I really hope to do with this is to give a voice to certain experiences and certain demographics as well that maybe don't often get a voice so that other people who are going through it can hear a story and hear a testimony and find hope in that. And so that's really what I'm hoping to do today. And I think that you'll do a great job at communicating that. But why don't we just start with you giving me a little bit about your background, where you're from, your family life, what you do for a living, that kind of thing. Yes, Katie Comer here, and I uh, grew up, raised, born and raised in Knoxville, Tennessee, and go Vols. <laughs> um, I bleed orange, uh, and we, my husband and I moved here about seven years ago, and we'll get into that and why we moved and how we moved, but essentially we live here in Smyrna, Tennessee now, but we were high school sweethearts. Mm. And went to Bearden High School in Knoxville, and we went through a lot. We actually broke up through a lot of college, most of college, and kind of found, or I always say I was looking for other fish in the sea in college, didn't like what I saw. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and came swimming back to him. But um, no, we always kind of kept in touch. He kind of pursued me even throughout those four or five years, mm-hmm. and we got back together, and we now live, like I said, here in Smyrna, and we have two kids, and um, I'll get into what he does in a little bit, but I work for a small environmental firm in their accounting department, and just living it up yeah, here in Smyrna, awesome. Tennessee. Are you full-time? I am. Okay. Full-time mama. Full-time mama. Full-time. Full-time environmental. Yep. Accounting. Accounting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, full-time worker, full-time mom, full-time wife. Right. We are, we, yeah, you hold all the roles. We are in the trenches together because our kids, we just discussed um, before we we hit record, our kids are the same age. Exactly. Girl and boy, same gender and everything. That's true. And um, it's intense, isn't it? I know. Is it more intense than you thought it would be having two this close in age together? Well, yeah. And so I grew up in a family of, it was me and two of my sisters and we were all like three and a half years apart. So I'm like seven years older than my youngest sister. Oh yeah. And so we had a more significant age difference. Yeah. And it took us a while to get pregnant with my first Uh and even start an infertility stuff. And so when Eli was not even, he was like one, one and a half. We were like talking about trying. We're like, well, we better start now because it could be like two or three years before we have kids again. (laughs) And then it was not that long. (laughs) So, um, I had no idea that we would have this, um, close in age, but it's a lot, but it really, there brings a lot of joy and a lot of um, stuff that I never had when I was For growing sure. up. So yes. they are into the same things, even though they're different genders now, it's not that big of a deal, but like they like to play hide and seek together. They're not too cool for each other. Yep. So, I mean, it's just really fun too, but it's exhausting for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were just Let's talking about that. Let's not skip over that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually have found the same thing. I'm three and a half years, um, apart I'm younger than my older brother yeah 
And I mean, we were fine growing up. We didn't have like bad blood, but mm-hmm. uh, we just didn't do a lot together. Uh, he was always into like his older friends and I yeah. was down like the runt that like wanted to hang around. Yeah, please look at me. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and wanted all the attention. Nothing has changed there. And, <laughs> and with my kids, it's so fun. I, I always thought I wanted them close together like that. Okay. That was my kind oh. of my goal. Good. I thought I wanted more also that close together and then I got these two and they're awesome (laughs) they're a lot of energy and I was like uh maybe we'll have a larger gap yeah Yeah. (laughs) but but nonetheless they are the best of friends and it's the coolest thing Mm -hmm. I hope it continues I'm sure they'll go through phases where they're not but I hope that like overall that'll just kind of stay consistent and when I was I think I put off that energy that I was a little nervous about having kids that close together Mm -hmm. and people would come up to me and tell me their stories of how, oh, I'm really close to my, you know, my brother. We were super close. We were super close in age and there were like best friends. And like you said, they went through phases in life, but as they're an adult, I mean, they just, they're still best friends. I'm like, yay. I know. Yeah. I really see my kids' personalities like clicking together too. Like they're just different enough, but just similar enough Mm -hmm. that it works really well. And uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. I think the age gap is really, really fun. Um, So let's talk about your guys's relationship then with you and your husband what's your husband's name adam adam mm-hmm. okay so you guys were high school sweethearts when did you guys meet in high school like freshman year yes yeah, so like sophomore year okay. um he was kind of the big man on campus doesn't ask what are your guys's roles at high school yeah. campus because that's that yeah. plays a role <laughs> yeah it does play a role into um the dynamics there um he was kind of the big man on campus he's very very outgoing okay are you all the same age like same yeah grade? Okay. same grade um, I was, um, kind of shyer, I would say, I'm not shy anymore. I don't know if he's brought it out of me this many years now <laughs> right. that it's just kind of naturally, I'm not shy anymore. But, um, so I didn't run in his crowd just because I would just walk down the hallway and go straight into class, mm. you know, and he would be out in the hallways giving high fives and, yeah. you know, was he an athlete at school? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was that kind of thing. And then, so like literally giving high fives. Oh yeah, hey, as you the game. typically see <laughs> in in TV. So um, yeah, he was that. He um, Mr. Personality. Everybody loved Adam. Yeah, and still does. He just he walks in the room. People kind of gravitate towards him, which is super fun. And what I one of the greatest qualities that he has is yeah. he can get along with everybody. You know. And so, yeah, we just kind of met through some mutual friends in high school. Actually, my best friend at the time in high school um, was interested in him, and they had the same class together. I know. Yikes. And so... Um, <laughs> Y'all still friends? Yeah, we're, okay, best, okay. yeah, we're best friends. And <laughs> so she is... Adam's really tall. He's 6'4". Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And she is, like, not tall. And so they started hanging out and dating, and I just got really ticked. Because I was like, you can't date. Yeah, I am tall. I'm like (laughs) 5'9". And so I was like, you cannot date tall guys. That's off limits. Your pool's only so big. Yeah. If you want a guy taller than you. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Especially like high school, like a beginning of high school too. They're still growing. Yeah. Um, So I was just like, yeah, that's just not an option. So they (laughs) dated for a little bit. I have domain. Yeah. Over over tall. Anyone that's over six foot in this yeah, high school. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, they dated and she laughed about it, but they dated for a little bit, but not even like, I mean, I'm talking like, you know, in high school where you're like dating, but you don't really go out a lot. But yeah. 
So they did, and then she started becoming interested in Adam's, one of Adam's best friends, and they started dating. This is messy. I know. It's really messy. <laughs> but then we all just were really good friends. I started dating Adam about sophomore year, because yeah. they kind of ended things. And then we all started double dating together. It was fine. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad it all worked out. That could have gone both ways. I mean, yeah. that could have gone... Really bad. Disastrous. <laughs> and then it also could have gone where you guys are just like the best couple friends now. We are. We were. That's amazing. Yeah, we were. Um, so yeah, we just dated throughout high school. Uh, we ended up going to different colleges. Okay. And so I went to UT Knoxville and he went to UT Chattanooga and naturally, you know, we were just like, I don't know, you know, and that's like what, like three hours? Yeah, from well, no, it's like just even an hour and a half, an hour and a half. Okay. but I mean, he got kind of into like the, um, fraternity scene, mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, which kind of plays a role into where we're going to go here in a little bit, but kind of, you know, did the fraternity scene still kind of pursued me some, but we kind of separated saying, Hey, we're going to date, you know, people just kind of make sure that this is what we want for our future. And we really broke up for all of college. But like I said, I think it's actually super mature. I, when I was, I had a boyfriend in high school and I remember him (laughs) asking me, well, what happens if we're still dating when you go to college? And I was like, well, then we'll break up. Like, I'm not taking a long-distance relationship to college. That's just not... But so many of my friends did, and I think it's so much smarter to just realize that when you're at high school, like you said, the pool is so small, you don't even know what you want want yet. And we were able to say that we explored that. Yeah, absolutely. We had our own memories in college and um, stayed good friends throughout it. And I thought it was, you know, something... Yeah, I thought we did well. Um for us and then uh, he always I remember I was dating some guy real serious like pretty serious um in college in college yeah and we were even kind of talking about marriage um looking back now I think it was more one-sided I was talking about marriage (laughs) and he wasn't um but nonetheless I think we were talking about marriage at one point and uh I I remember talking to Adam on the phone and I said, I just need to know something. I mean, we're talking about marriage, me and this guy. And would you want an invite to the wedding? And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, would you want an invite to my wedding? He was like, well, of course, I'm going to be the one standing next to you at the altar. And I was like, okay. (laughs) It's a confident move, Adam. He's (laughs) confident. (laughs) Not cocky, confident. Yeah. Like it. There was a difference, but um, no. So he always he always kind of knew we were going to find our way back to each other. Mm-hmm. And um, looking back now, I'm glad he pursued me still, you know. But um, so yeah, we started dating back probably after college. I'd say about a year or so after college, and started hanging out more, dating more, and then became official and all that stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is like young adulthood now. Yeah. Cool. This is probably young, young 20s, yeah. 23, 24, yeah. So it sounds like early on in high school, you guys are kind of the couple on campus. Like you guys, he, he's he's like mm-hmm. yeah. Mr. Everyone Knows Him. You're his girlfriend. Yeah. Things are pretty peachy Yeah, and we fun. Are. It's fun. Yeah. And young love and all yes, those things. Absolutely. Yeah. So how what was the dynamic like when you guys started dating again in college or uh, after college? After was college. That, um, was it yeah. smooth? Was it like, oh, here we are back again? Or yeah. Were there... Um, 
Let me think back to that. Yeah, I mean, I think it was natural. We kind of started, um, We he kind of kept more in touch with some of our high school friends in general. So naturally, when we got back together, we started hanging out with them some more. And we um, just had a lot of fun. So it's kind of, yeah, it was natural for us to get back together and pretty much the same as in high school. Okay. So, and then when we got engaged, everything was peachy. Yeah. He proposed to me um, on a kiss cam proposal. Oh, cool. And um, <laughs> at what game? At UT at basketball. UT? Yeah, okay. UT basketball game. And there's like, a, there's some like beer commercial. You know, those like, um, here's looking at you, Mr. Blah, 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 blah. I don't know if you know what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. Well, there's one that came out said, here's looking to you, Mr. Kiss Cam Proposal Guy. You got two things that are the most important to you. You got your girl and the center of attention. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, so Adam. Yeah, you're like, yep. But to his his credit, (laughs) to his credit, yes, it was the center of attention. But um, he knew I'd always wanted to be on the Kiss Cam. Oh, proposal cool. he 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 all he not proposal he always knew I want to be on the kiss cam yeah. and so um like even in college I would sit next to guys I thought were really cute I'm like please 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 <laughs> please get on me like right now um and so but it never happened and I even told him that I was like I just never was on the kiss cam even mm-hmm. all throughout my college years right I go to every game. I went to every game and never got on that stupid kiss cam. <laughs> and my parents even got on the kiss cam. Oh, my goodness. Whatever. So um, he knew that and he like worked it out yeah, with cool. the camera people and knew that that was like a dream of mine. So it worked out for everybody. Yeah, everyone is pumped. That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. So when did you guys get married then? Yeah, we got married in 20, 2008. Okay. Um, so we... Uh, and I graduated in 2005, so we dated for a few years after college and then got engaged and then got married about six months after engagement. Okay. So two, 2008 was our, since we've been married. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And you, you roll into marriage. Yeah. Everyone's happy. We're happy as a clam. Yeah. Everything. Or so we thought. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. happy. You guys yeah. are madly in love. Yeah. Life is good. When did you start noticing a difference? So, like I said, we got married in 2008, and yeah, everything was going well. I didn't really notice much, you know, anything off, Um, but about a year, maybe two years after we got married, I felt like it shouldn't be this difficult, and uh, some of the things I started noticing, for example, were he wasn't coming home at night till really, really, really late. Mm -hmm. Um, Intimacy just wasn't really there. Mm -hmm. And I would think, you know, even like a couple years into marriage, you still should be like, you know, wanting to be with that person physically and emotionally and everything. And it just really wasn't what I thought marriage was supposed to be. So I started noticing things were a little off. He just wasn't And one thing to know about Adam, like in, in high school and in, um, college and even after college pursuing me I was like his number one Mm -hmm. he always treated me well I was his world like he did that well he dated me well he pursued me well you were highly valued yeah I was highly valued that's a great great word so when we were married I was like I I mean surely he's not like one just be like all right I got the girl I'm gonna you know peace out and do whatever I want to it just didn't seem right so he didn't come home at night you know, I started also noticing money was a big thing. 
what I thought he was supposed to bring home to me. He would say, oh, I need to cash my check and I'll bring you home the money type thing. Interesting. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm, and one thing you've got to know about me, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Okay. And there's a couple different types of pastor's kids. Okay. <laughs> there's like the really wild you know, I'm going to go way against my teachings yep. that I grew up in. And then there's kind of the naive, I'm the good, like the good pastor's kid. I yeah. re- did everything well. That was me. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, so I would consider so very my trusting. Very, yeah, very yeah. trusting. And he knew that, you know, he kind of used that to his, his advantage. Mm-hmm. And he would say that even now, um, that he used to use that to his advantage, but um, yeah, so I was very naive. I was like, okay, just bring me, you know, the chat. I mean, bring me the cash. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I thought you worked this many hours and it was this. And it was like half of what it was supposed to be. Mm. And I just trusted that that's what it was supposed to be. And it kept getting little and little. We couldn't make our car payments or whatever it was. And I was like, we make enough right, to do this. And so financially, um, emotionally, physically... Everything was just really off. He just wasn't there for me, like I said, emotionally. Um, so, yeah, I just started noticing about a couple years in. Okay. For sure. How long did that go on like that mm-hmm. before there were enough red flags and enough questions in your mind to actually investigate further or say something? Yeah. So, when it started getting really bad, it was probably like two years into our marriage. So, when I look back now, it started even when we were dating mm. after college and in those first few years I noticed small things yeah right but I was too naive to notice that's where the naive kind of took um into place but about two years into marriage was when it started getting really bad when I you know we started getting calls from like the car place saying hey you need to pay your note I was like all right he's on his way with the cash right now he's on his way and then he called me like two hours later saying, hey, we've not received your money. We're about to close. That kind of stuff. Where it was very evident that he was hiding stuff. He couldn't keep a job. Yeah. He would be let go of jobs and, you know, that kind of stuff. So about two years At home, into marriage. So he's he's not functioning real well if no. he's not keeping a job. Is he functioning at home well or is he kind of just... Coming in, going to bed. Yeah. Like what's it What's it like behind closed doors for you guys? Right. So um, he had no ambition, right? So he would hang out with some friends and hang out with me some. But yeah, he wouldn't really interact much with even some of our friends that much anymore. So yeah, behind closed doors, just one word that I could use for him back then was zero ambition. Okay. Just didn't, wasn't a self-motivated, mm-hmm. you know, kind of glued to the TV or Xbox, whatever it was back then mm-hmm. in 2008. I don't remember, <laughs> but yeah. Were you guys talking or was it Yeah, it's more like a household? roommate situation, I would say, looking back now okay. from what we are now to back then. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that. Was he conversational? Yeah, not that much. Okay. Which is you know? super not like him. Yeah, it's His not like him. He wasn't pursuing me. He wasn't yeah. valuing me, right? He It was more of just... But at the same time, um, you know, he had to be somewhat conversational um, for me, 
to start kind of believe some of the stuff he's saying, right? right? right. So, you know, an addict, they're really good manipulators. Right. And they always say it's kind of like a spider web of lies. So they have to be really smart and really good manipulators to be able to navigate for however long he did for Mm -hmm. years, for several years into our marriage. So, but then he, at some point it gets to be too many webs and then they start to tangle and for him they just started tangling and ripping and he could no longer lie um, or keep a lie up I caught him you know red-handed or you know whatever so so do you recall some of the conversations that you had that like some of the things that he would tell you that to to kind of push something off and be like "No, no no it's nothing like what what were the, some of the things that he was even telling you that didn't necessarily perfectly fall into place? So you're kind of still like, ah, but yeah. it was good enough that you're kind of like, okay, I guess. Yeah. So a big thing I would say is um, his ability to get out of social commitments, I would say too. Mm. Uh, I know because he, looking back, he w- is so social, right? Right. So he would get out of wanting to hang out with friends. He would want to get out with a big thing was hanging out with my family when he knew it was something very important to me that we had like a family function. He's like, I can't make it. Right. And me having to explain he's working. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Something like that. And then we're both um, Christian. So we, we go to church, but he would jet out early, even in the middle of service hmm. and say, Hey, I've got a I've got to run and meet my friend or I've got to run and work this afternoon. So he, that was a big red flag as well. Just kind of being able to keep his social commitments when that's so far from his character originally. Yeah. Yeah. What was your mindset through this? And I know obviously, like you said, there's like a naivety that comes into play, but so we have been very open in the past and will continue to be open about it forever that we have gone through some really low marital times. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first got married, my husband was in a place that I can best describe as depression. Um, it was never diagnosed. I don't know if that's technically what it was, but it's the closest thing I've ever seen to depression. If it wasn't that, um, he was very unmotivated. Yeah. He was very, um, quiet. And it was almost like he was just blankly moving through life. Like Mm -hmm. there was no emotion in it. It was just like he was existing and he was going from, you know, the bed to his job to the bed. It was just like, Mm -hmm. it was just, there was no in between. There was no, um, there wasn't even conversation. I mean, we went years. This is not an exaggeration. We went years where we would say, 10 words to each other in a whole day. Yeah. And in that time, you know, he's obviously dealing with a lot as is Adam in this scenario. Right. But you're sitting there functioning well, you're functioning normally, you are healthy and you're thinking to yourself, what is happening? Like this isn't, and I, I can relate to the idea that like, this isn't what my marriage is supposed to be like. Yeah. I always thought I would make a great wife. I looked forward to marriage because I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, like I'm the kind of person that can like 
like being like lovey doesn't ever get old to me. Like I can keep that going forever. I just love love. Mm-hmm. And just sort of sit, I remember to sit alone at times when he was checked out and to think, is this really my marriage? Like, is this what it's going to be for the rest, rest of my yeah, life? I definitely have that. Yeah. Yeah. So like what, how are you staying strong through this time? Are you, are you coping with denial? Are you coping with something else? Yeah. Like, are you coping with your faith? Like what, how are you navigating through this time? Cause it's, I think what one, what people don't realize is that when they, you know, obviously marriage is, is hard. <laughs> yeah, it's really, yeah. That, that is well-spoken now, and it is. It's, it takes a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we go into marriage saying for better or for worse. I think what people don't understand and maybe can't understand is just, like, how lonely and painful the worst is. Yeah, and it was. It was for me. It was very lonely. And I will say I did not deal and cope well. Okay. Um looking back and that I meet with women, um, moms, wives, sisters, a lot whose husbands end up dealing with addiction because I didn't have that. I didn't know anybody, um, that was dealing with a low like that with their husband. So I, I would say for me, I did everything wrong in in coping and dealing. I put on a mask And I uh, put a smile on my face. And I think growing up as a pastor's kid, uh, it was kind of a learned thing with me. Um, I mean, I didn't have a lot of low moments growing up. So, but even when I was sad and, you know, me and Adam like broke up some in high school. So we were sad sometimes, you know, but uh, I would put on that mask on Sunday mornings and walk into church and be able to hide whatever emotion I've worked. I dealt with that well Mm -hmm. and, um, or I worked that well. So I did a lot of that when Adam was, um, when I was in my lonely time with him, not knowing what was going on. Right. I made excuses a lot for him. You know, I said, you know, he's got to work or he's got another commitment. And I never told any of my friends. Mm -hmm. I never told any of my family. Yeah. I never, um, I mean, like not a single soul for probably a good solid, at least when it was really, really bad, when I started noticing something was wrong. Yeah. um, Probably for a good six months to a year, nobody knew. Yeah. And that was the loneliest time for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, so I'll say all that. That's not what you're supposed to do. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're listening to this, do exactly opposite of what I just did. Yeah. That's tough though, because, you know, I think one thing that I was always taught or at least into adulthood when we were looking at getting married and I had mentors in my life was, was to not deface your husband. Like I didn't want to bring bad publicity to him right. in our in our in our circles whether it be my family or our friendships like I didn't want people to start disliking him because yeah of the way that he was treating me and right. and running our household and and you know yeah, that you want to lift him up as yeah. a wife then that's what you feel like uh, you're supposed to do right yeah and so I can definitely I I felt that conflict too um now it was 
I, we see my parents enough that it became very like they figured it out. Okay. Themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But um, but I still like our friends when we finally, when we finally decided to kind of be public about it and about the fact that like we were in counseling and needed he needed help and we needed help and th- those kinds of things. Our friends were completely blindsided. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. First of all, I think many women suffer from the idea that. It's really hard for us to ask for help. Like, yeah. We feel like we should be able to handle everything. Sure. Men yeah. probably too. I think this is probably universal for human beings. But like we feel like we should like being a good wife, being a good mom, being a good business owner or employer or any of these things means that you can handle it on your own. Yeah. That you can do it Just by for yourself. For sure, yeah. Um, and so almost telling someone how hard it is or how much you're struggling with something mm-hmm feels like you're failing at it yeah feels like you like you're and failing at your marriage or that you're like people are then thinking that your marriage is not good which is true <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> but yeah. also and it's hard to handle that to hold that yeah and it's just so it's such a lie I feel like yeah I mean honestly I feel like it's just a lie that Satan uh tells tells you yeah saying you've got to do this alone because right. they know once you once get somebody on your side two are better than one to try to d- deal and tackle with that right. issue. And for me, I mean, I just, I mean, yeah, it was, once I did start telling people, it was so, so much easier. Yeah. And, um, it needed to happen. So for those of you listening in that place where you are lonely and you haven't told somebody that just needs to stop. Right. Right. That needs to stop. And you needed, you need to find one girlfriend mm-hmm. that you can that trust. you can trust and lay it out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I challenge you to do that today because honestly, it brought so much of a burden off when I told my like I told two of my best friends um, everything that was going on, and it was it's mind blowing how much of a burden release that was. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, and I think. I think the key here is to find someone that you can trust with it. And I know one of my fears, I was one of the first people in my association to get married. Okay. Um, I, we, I got married really young, three weeks after college graduation. Wow. So like no one else was in that phase. And, and it was hard because I think it happened to me one time. And after that, I was like, well, I'm not going to do that again. And it wasn't even over this. It was over something else. But like I mentioned that we were having a really, like a really bottomed out time in our relationship and they were like oh really are you gonna get divorced and I was like you don't get it yeah (laughs) that's not it's not like this is really hard so I'm out it's like this is really hard and I need someone to like be here just with me me in it yeah just like just to hear this I'm not looking for an escape route I'm not it's just hard and 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 to find someone that's at least understands your stage of life enough and your commitment level enough like marriage to realize that just because things aren't going well doesn't mean you're running, but like instead, like, oh, this is really hard, and you have to sit through it, and it's, and I want to be sitting here with you. Yeah, is is an important distinction of who you tell for sure. Yeah, and oddly enough, one of the I said I told two best friends. Oddly enough, one of those best friends was the one that used to date date them back in <laughs> oh, high <wow>. school. <laughs> so like, yeah, it was. So I mean, yeah, she knew us. Yeah, and right. she knew him before. Right everything kind of went downhill for sure. So that was obviously a really good 
um, confidant. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So did you ever address him about like what, was going what on? the heck is going on here, man? Yeah, because this is the deal. When it started getting so bad and I was, like I was saying, I started noticing money was off. He wasn't coming home at night. Um, you know, he was emotionally and physically just not available to me. Mm-hmm. Your first thought as a married couple that's been married a couple years and things are just not going well is an affair. All that right, kind of points right. to that. Money's not there emotionally, yeah. physically. So, I mean, I would have never thought that Adam would have an affair on me. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. But I was like, it has to be that. And so I was like, oh, okay, we can deal with it. We can work through it. We can go to counseling. We can right. make the, We can make it through. We've gone through other things, mm-hmm. break up for five years. We can make it. And so, yeah, I confronted him. I remember where I was sitting, where he was standing, everything about that moment. Mm-hmm. And I just confronted him. I was like, I just need to know one thing. And we can work through it. We can go to counseling. I'm here for it. And I'm here for you. Right. I'm not ready to give up. But I need to know that if you're having an affair on me. So I just confronted him straight up. Mm-hmm. And so he looked at me. I remember his look. He looked he at me. angry? Well, no, it oh, was, okay. it was so sad that that's what I would think of him. Oh, interesting. He said, is that what you think of me? This is exactly what he thought, said to me. And I said, well, Adam, what else am I supposed to th- think? These are all of the things that I've been dealing with for the past six months to a year. Little I know it's been longer than that, but right. six months to a year that I've been dealing with this and I don't know where to go. He was like, no, I'm not having an affair and that's the end of the story. And we he left it he left it that. That like that triggers me a little that triggers that that like cuts yeah. with me a little bit because yeah. I know what it feels like to be on your side of that question, not mm. with an affair for us, but just like what the heck is going on and wanting answers and to have the response be short. Yeah. And not actually tell you anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. you're just sitting there going that wasn't fulfilling at all. Like, no, I'm still it wasn't. here like, what the heck is happening then? I know this isn't right, <laughs> how I'm supposed to feel. <laughs> like, you probably mustered up so much to even get that out oh, to yeah. him. And then there was no, like, for like there was no gratification on the back end. Yeah. And you're still sitting there going, okay, I mean, well. Least, yeah. Th- then what? Like, but the conversation's done. Because at least if it was an affair, at least I have answers. Right, right. You know, I mean, like, and want the answer. It would have point. sucked. Yeah. And yeah, I absolutely. mean, I don't know what would have happened. Right. But at least there was answers. Right. Of why you're being the way you're being. Yeah. And so, yeah. Did did you have moments in here where you, and I don't, I don't know what your answer is going to be to this. So for me personally, um, I, I'm not one that's going to likely ever get divorced unless it's a safety issue. Mm-hmm. Um, like I definitely see like if, if someone is physically violent, a hundred percent. Um, but for me, otherwise, like I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. That's just my belief system. Yeah. Were there times that either you considered divorce in this or that you actually let yourself think about the fact that this might be your marriage for the rest of your life and what that would mean? Yeah. At that point, no marriage was off the table, but that quickly changes through my experience with him cool so 
So, okay, so talk to me about rock bottom then. When did things, when did, when did you finally get your yeah. answers? What did yeah, that like? so that was actually two days later. Oh, wow. Okay, good. Yeah. So you didn't so have I didn't too live long. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have too much long, but I definitely walked away that conversation going, what? But yeah. it was enough for him, it triggered. for me to say that I thought he was having an affair, that he knew I noticed something. Yeah. That he needed to come clean. He had spun these webs so close together that he knew that he was caught. Yeah. So, he, again, we were in that same room, but now we're both sitting down. I remember where we were at. And he said, I came, well, I came walking in the room, and he said, hey, I need to tell you something. And I was like, this is it. He is finally coming clean about the affair. Yeah, he yeah, couldn't yeah. tell me then. Now he's telling me now. So he sat down on the bed, and he said, all right, I'm just going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you what, what I've been dealing with. He's like, I am addicted to pain medicine. And I can't get off. I've tried. He's like, remember that stomach bug that I had a while back? That was me trying to come off of pain medicine. Mm. And you gave me Pepto-Bismol thinking that it would cure it. It, it didn't cure it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so I was like, oh, well, Okay. So you are taking pain medicine and you're addicted to pain medicine. He was like, yes. I was like, well, that's, that's easy. I was like, give them to me and we'll flush them down the toilet. Like naive. <laughs> like so naive. Cool, man. All I, right. This is great. I mean, it's not a fair, it's an addiction. I mean, uh, it's just like looking back on it. I'm just like, oh my gosh, that, that chick. Um, so yeah, it was about two days later that he he hit rock bottom, knowing that he was pretty much caught. I guess he was right. backed into a corner. Well, and probably so. I guess even, maybe not rock bottom for him, you're but you're not seeing it. He still cares about you. Yeah. And so to think that yeah. his wife thinks that he would cheat on on her yeah. is probably. Um, I know, like, because my husband, like, loyalty is such a big thing for him mm-hmm. that if I were to ever think that he had an affair like that would be crushing crushing for him yeah he would be like what no that's how he is yeah i want to i want to say this one thing too though um now adam says when i when i talk about me thinking that he because we speak a lot on this Mm -hmm. and we go around in public speak about our story a lot and one thing that he says when he's talking he said no i wasn't having an affair on her physically with a woman right 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 but the emotions that I was feeling as a wife was exactly of that an affair. So he was like, I completely understand why she would go there right. and why she would accuse me of that because I was essentially having a an affair with a substance. Right. Everything was put before her. Mm-hmm. The pills were put way before my wife. Yeah. And so, so yeah, it was... Um, it was hard when he told me that, but I was so naive not knowing what that really looked like, what an addiction looked like. So he he tried to, um, you know, detox on his own, mm-hmm. try to get the medicine out of his system on his own for a while. And I just thought everything was great. You know, he was fine. He was free of this or whatever. Because I just didn't really know what that looked like. I never even been around anybody that was addicted. Right. I mean, growing up at high school, the cool thing in our high school was to be a good person. Like, right. I didn't see drinking. I didn't see drugs. It's just I, something I was never around. Um, 
How um, did he have like a surgery or something that introduced him to opioids to begin with? Yeah. So he um, went to uh, when Hurricane Katrina happened, he went down for hurricane relief work. Okay. um, And he uh, started just doing some work um, there. He was on top of a roof. He ended up falling off a roof and hurting his back really bad. And he, somebody I think came up to him and, and said, Hey, why don't you just try this one, um, half of this pill? It'll help your back. Just take half of it because it's kind of strong. Yeah. And he took that half of the pill and he said, this is everything that I've been missing in that one half of a pill. And from that one half of a pill, it, he started self-medicating. He never even went to a doctor started self-medicating with, um, and it started getting more and more and more because eventually your body starts to develop, you know, you start needing more to get the more same to high. get the more yeah. same high. Yeah. So he did. And so then it became like a financial issue because then it's more and Spencer. more money. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of money. So, wow. um, essentially that's how he got started with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, my husband's a police officer, um, as you know, and, these are always the saddest stories to me is, and he's had a few of them where, um, he'll go to a call and it's like a veteran with a family that had, you know, he had young kids or whatever and he gets back and he has, um, he has to take pain medication for an injury or something that, that happens and ends up getting addicted. And eventually it leads to his overdose Mm -hmm. and, I don't know why that's harder for me to swallow, yeah. I guess, because it's like someone that like didn't ever choose to get into drugs. So they just kind of got grabbed by them. Um, but that always to me just seems like, I don't know. It always just seems not more heartbreaking, but just, it's just, um, it's not the life that they would have ever chosen. Yeah. It's like, you, and I think, and that's why, um, I think we have such an epidemic in this country over, these kinds of addictions because it's it's people who don't even see it coming yeah because they never actually said yes to a drug i mean they did they did but not not an illegal one and one of the things um adam works with a lot of uh um, people who are drug addicts Mm -hmm. um and we'll get to that here in a little bit but um one of the things that they all say is my first drug dealer was my doctor Mm. and uh, they would just keep prescribing them mm-hmm. opioids saying, you know, or they'd go to a different doctor and without doing any research, Oh yeah, you need some pain medicine. And then they go to a different doctor. I mean, it was their doing, but their first, right. first drug um, dealer was their doctor. So, yeah. which is a trusted person. Yeah. That's yeah. really tough. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously this is interesting because both of you guys are in a position where you haven't been exposed to drug addicts. Yeah. You don't know what getting clean looks like. Yeah. Um, I can imagine it was probably a pretty sloppy journey going yeah. forward of just yeah. trying to figure out what, how the heck to, how to beat it. Yeah. So at, he tried to detox on his own, like I said, and I was like, yeah, everything's great. You know, we're good. He's going to be back to his normal self. Yeah. And it just didn't happen. Money kept 
it kept getting worse, to be honest with you. So was he able to be open and honest with you about it not happening at this point? Because he knew no. that you knew, or was it like he still had to the get shame caught. was still yeah. there and he tried to keep it silent like he was figuring it out, but he wasn't. Yeah, no, he he would he would have to get caught for him to go to the next phase of whatever. Yeah. You know. So he never had a <laughs> repentance attitude. Yeah. Um in in that stage. So you know, I was willing to work it out, mm-hmm. right? I was willing to work it out. Um, he, we even decided, okay, we're going to go to a um, rehab. Yeah. We went to a local rehab in Knoxville, actually pretty well-known 12-step program. And he, I was there every single time the doors were open for family visits. I yeah. was there for all of the counseling. I was like, we're going to beat this, but you need bigger help than just your own self. Right. So he went to rehab for, I don't know, it was like a 30-day program, outpatient program. Um, and he tells me, now he tells me that the day he got out, he started using again. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So And I, the, even then, I'm like, oh, he's clean. Yeah, like, you're you like know, the most nice. hopeful. I am. This is how I am, too. I'm like, good, we're good. Yes. <laughs> we have beat this. And so, I mean, I we did like a... A two-day getaway at a cabin when he got out but he was using at the cabin I'm sure so um yeah it just was really difficult but then when I found out about that time I said okay it's just not something that I can help you out with yeah because at this point it's been months and months and months of me just trying to be there for you so I actually separated from him Mm -hmm. And I moved back in with my family. By this time, my family obviously knew. Right. My friends knew. Um, so I could be open and honest with them about it. And I moved back in with them. And he was just kind of couch surfing, hanging out with his family some. Because we ended up, we couldn't afford our apartment at the time. Right. So, yeah, he ended up burning some really um, trusted um burning bridges at some really trusted friends that we've had, um, growing up and he no longer had that anymore. He knew that I was separated from him kind of over it at that point. Uh-huh. And he had nothing left at that point. So his, he, I mean, he was at the point where he was kind of like stealing stuff yeah. from family members and stealing stuff from friends to, to, Keep his high. Keep his high, yeah. Keep his drug habit up. And so he'd burned every bridge that he could. And so his parents were like locking him out of the house mm. during the day that he could sleep there. But at, during the day, he had to be out on the porch. So just like completely at his lowest of low. That was his rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And I was, as a wife, as a, as a wife, I was just kind of like, I need to remove myself from this relationship and work on me. Okay. Because if I don't work on me, then there's no no help that can be had in this relationship. Right. So he, I didn't really talk to him much. I got the phone. I got this one phone call from him saying, "Hey, I just don't know what else to do." So I've Googled Christian rehabs. At this point, yeah. you're obviously separated. You're growing. You. Mm-hmm. And you're hoping that he figures it out. Yeah. I don't know. Is there a thought in your brain that there's still hope that you guys will 
figure it out and get back together or are you like checked out um like, i think in the, the back of him, my mind but... i remember having a conversation out on the porch with my friend and i said she goes well when is enough enough like and i heard that from several people but she was like when is enough enough yeah and i was like i don't know but i don't feel like it's now yeah and there was something in me that said one more time yeah we'll give him one more chance because at this time, he had Googled that Christian rehab and found a, a recovery program in Middle Tennessee called S2L Recovery. Okay. And so he decided to go there, and he thought it was a 30-day program. His his mom and dad dropped him off. Again, I didn't go with him. I was o- over it. Mm-hmm. And they dropped him off, and the guy was like, all right, it's a 90-day program. <laughs> Peace out. His parents were like, bye. Good luck finding your way back home. And he was like, are you serious? Yeah. So he was there for quite a while. Um, I was over it. Um, one of the biggest, one of the biggest stories when I was preparing to tell my story in front of a, in front of a women's group, I was kind of thinking about my story, praying about my story. I was like, I need something, remind me of something that these women need to hear. Mm -hmm. And I was praying to God. I was like, remind me of something that these women need to hear. I kid you not. I remember this story out of the blue. I did not even remember it. Like up until this yeah. moment, but I was like gardening with the, um, for this church workshop that we did, um, church cleanup workshop that okay. we were doing. And there was this lady gardening with me and she was like, Hey, how's the Adam doing? And she knew nothing about what was going on. Okay. And he's and again, she didn't know that you were even separated. No. Okay. And she was like, I haven't seen him in a while. And so I said, well, you know, he's not just, he's just not doing real well. We're not doing real well. And I was just real honest with her. Yeah. I had no reason to be honest with her, but I just had no reason not to be. So I just was like, I'm yeah. going to put it out there. <laughs> I didn't know her real well is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, um, but I, I, I knew her growing up. So I knew enough to feel comfortable to talk about it. And I just said, he's not doing real well. He's actually in a rehab in middle Tennessee. And I just don't know if we're going to make it. I've given him too many chances for me to feel like putting enough effort into this. Yeah. And she just looks at me, looks at me and she goes, Hmm, what if you give him one more chance? It's a bold thing to say to someone in that scenario. And that's all she said. And she kind of walked off and I never thought anything of it. But I, I, I believe that God was telling her to be bold in that moment. Yeah. And I was probably ticked off at the time. Like, who is she to tell me to (laughs) give him a million chances? I've given him a million chances. I'm not going to, but what if that one thing, what if you were to give your husband one more chance? What would that look like? Mm -hmm. And I kind of put it in the back of my mind. One more chance, one more chance. And, um, I did. Yeah. I, I, I let him go through this rehab in middle Tennessee and didn't talk to him for at least a month while he was there. And I think he checked in every now and then with yeah. me. Um, but yeah, he was, he was locked and loaded into that, in that program at the time. It's interesting to think about your guys' dynamic at this point. Cause I feel like you are, you couldn't be more far removed from Yeah, him. I was so removed. Like you're like, whatever. Yeah. Like, I hope, like, I want you to live, so yeah. 
still I die. I make but... it, but you're not you're not fighting for him anymore. No. But he probably is largely fighting for you. Yeah. Like if you're, you know, you were always like his prized possession. Yeah. That he adored, and then like he blew it. He did. And he's probably sitting in rehab, obviously having to work on himself a lot personally. But I can imagine that that for him is a huge motivator of being like, I have to get her back. Yeah. Well, when he went off to rehab, one of the things I wanted to make clear to him that was that I don't know if I would be around even if he got well. Right. So I wanted him, I think in the back of my mind, I wanted him to go in for himself. Yeah. Not for any sort of saving grace for our marriage. Because if he went in with that mindset, I feel like he would only be doing it for that. So he actually checked the mail every day looking for divorce papers. Mm. He was like waiting for him every single day for the 90 days or probably for the first month or so he was checking divorce papers and um that's super smart of you though yeah i feel like that keeps it from like going in and thinking i just gotta do just enough to yeah put on a face for katie and it makes it like oh it's actually happening it's not yeah and i now. didn't want him to do that yeah yeah and i knew that he was there wondering if we were getting a divorce mm-hmm. and i knew that and i didn't care and at that moment and this is where I want to kind of break off and say this as a wife is where I focused on myself Mm -hmm. Adam was in rehab I needed to go through rehab for myself I'd lost so much of myself by this time this has been I mean thinking back on it it's been years that I've really focused on myself and so, I mean, I'm talking down to getting my hair done, getting my nails done, to more serious stuff like going to a counselor mm-hmm. and talking through things with her, she, her giving me homework, her telling me lay off, communicating with him for a little while. Mm-hmm. Really, really just, fo- I, I lost like 30 pounds healthily, exercising, eating better. Yeah. I did the whole shebang of just really like focusing on myself. And that was the healthiest thing that I can tell a woman going through this as a mom or as a wife, if your husband is struggling with something, um, you need to focus on yourself too, because you can so lose yourself and so focusing on your partner. Mm -hmm. I don't know where, if you're listening to this, I don't know like where you're at in the process. If you're over it and done, this is where I'm coming in to say, maybe give it one more chance. I don't know if you need to hear that, but at the same time, you need to focus on yourself. Yeah. Get well. And for me, that was doing those things. Get well. And by the time that I was ready to start communicating with him about a month after he'd been in rehab, he sounded like a different person. And I, I'll tell you this part of the story about three weeks in three or four weeks in right before I started talking to him. I remember, I remember driving down the road in Knoxville going, God, if you choose to save my marriage, I'll give you all the glory. Mm-hmm. Right. I will speak about it. Mm-hmm. I will give you all the glory. If you choose not to save my marriage, and we go down a different path, I'm still going to give you glory. Use me in that, mm-hmm. right? Adam tells me years and years down the road, he's like, about three or four weeks into rehab, I remember sitting down, praying to, praying to God, saying, God, if you choose to save my marriage, 
I'm going to give you all the glory. And if you choose not to save my marriage, I'm going to continue this work of fighting addiction for other men. And I'm going to give you all the glory. And I have zero doubt, mm. MJ, that it was the exact same day. Because it, it was within that same week. Yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah. So we had committed mm. that to really give God the glory and whatever was going to happen. So by that time, when we had started communicating again, about a month after, something had changed in him. And I could tell in his voice that he'd kind of surrendered to whatever this new life looked like, free from addiction. Now, there was a whole lot of trust. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of words and all that stuff that he was telling me. And there was a whole lot of trust that needed to be had. But I could sense there was a difference in him. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, I can't speak. I, I, I'm also a Christian. And not everyone that listens to this will yeah. be. And that's okay. Um, but I, I have found in my life, and I'm sure you can relate to this, that I can't speak for God and say that he waits till we get to rock bottom. I don't think that's his intention. Yeah. Um, but something changed in our relationship and it was like for four years, hope just was on a constant decline. Like, and I'm the most hopeful. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be great. No, like we're, it's still going to be fine. And oh, this conversation is going to be the game changer or I'm going to do this. And it's, this is going to be where things flip. And it just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And the the thing that changed it was me hitting my breaking point of being like, there's nothing else I can do, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you just described. Yeah. There's nothing else I can do. And you just had to leave him and separate him and say, I, I have done everything I can to help you. And it did not work. There's nothing more that I can do. And I remember I got to that point. There was nothing I could say to make him feel better. There was nothing I could do. There was not. There was nothing. And, you know, I couldn't be a good enough wife to make it all go away. And I remember for me, I was sitting in my car one day. And it was alone in my car. It was nighttime. I remember it was a, I was in a hotel parking lot. I was going to an event at the hotel. And I remember thinking to myself, what if this is it? Like, what if my marriage, this is just, this is all the um, fulfillment I get out of my marriage for the rest of my life. Like, what if that's it? And I remember being like, okay, like that would be really unfortunate, but I would be able to handle it. I can find joy in other things. I can find joy in my friendships. I can find joy in my pursuits. I can find joy in my, my, I had one kid at the time and my son. I can find joy in my relationship with God. Like there's other things that I can find joy with. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, but I can't anymore. Like there's just, there's nothing more I can do. And I had to get to the point of no more hope. Mm-hmm. And I remember praying and saying, all right, God, it's clear that this relationship getting better is not going to be humanly possible. Yeah. It's beyond our human control right. at this point. We have gotten so low at this point that I know if it ever gets better, it had to be you. Because I can look at my husband as a, as a human and say, you're too far gone. Right. And I can look at myself as a human and say, I've already tried everything and it didn't work. Yeah. yeah. So if anything gets better, if we actually ever have a good relationship, what I, which I couldn't even picture at that point, it had to be him. 
Yeah. And I said, I know I said the same thing. I will give you all the glory, but also like, all right. Like, and it's the most hopeless feeling when you get to that point. Yeah. Because you are releasing control. Yeah. And you realize that he might not change things. Yeah. And you're like, well, that would suck. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yep. Yep. And so you, I don't know what my life's going to look like now. Yeah. So. I remember yeah. releasing the control and be like, I don't feel any better for releasing that. Mm-hmm. It actually kind of feels worse because I'm, I'm admitting that there's nothing I can do. And that's not a fun thing to admit. Mm-hmm. And also recognizing that he might not choose to intervene here. And I wouldn't understand why. And I can tell you it would be super disappointing if that happened. And, and for you, it might have looked like your husband dying. Yeah. If he hadn't intervened there. Yeah, that's right. And that's an extreme situation. Mm -hmm. So it's not easy to get to that point, but I think at least in our, in both of our stories, getting to that point is when. Of surrender is what I called it. Of surrender. Absolutely. Getting that point of absolute surrender is when little fragments of hope started to come back into place and changes started to happen very slowly, but they did. Yeah. When you realize it's out of your control. And you surrender it. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, solid, scary place to be. <laughs> yeah, it's so scary. But, but you well. know that you have arrived at something's going to happen. Um, you don't know what it is. Right. Um, and that's for, what I think is amazing that you took action for yourself at yeah, that point. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the most important advices that I give to women going through this when their husbands are dealing, it doesn't have to be an addiction. It could, or even an addiction to, um, alcohol, porn, um, pills, um, sex, and sex. Affairs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it can be anything, um, affairs. Yeah. I mean, you have got to take control of yourself, mm-hmm. but you can't control the circumstance. Um, and once you're at that place that MJ, you're talking about the surrender place, that's when answers start to get fulfilled. Now, I don't know what those answers look like for right. us. It was, it was slowly redeeming our marriage Yeah, for us as well, which was, thank God. I'm glad that yeah. that's the way it was. And, that's, and I'm very thankful and I do know, <laughs> and I do realize, and I have been, um, surrounded by marriages that don't mm-hmm. unfortunately work out in that regard. But if you take the initiative to really work on yourself and that's where that happens as you, and you're working on yourself, you're going to counseling, you're working on yourself, you're in a place that's a whole lot better than if you had ignored yourself the entire time. Yeah. And then you get to that. Well, place. I think what it does is, and I think, I don't know for sure that I, necessarily changed about a lot about my actions Mm. at that point when I got to that surrender spot because early early on when the marital struggle started to happen I had some mentors tell me love him grow yourself and pray like crazy so I was already kind of in this just grow myself just grow myself mindset and that became like a mantra like love him grow myself pray like crazy love him grow myself and I all the time every day I repeat those words to myself so I don't know that I necessarily changed a lot but I actually wish I kind of would have now that you're talking about this and I can see where that would be so helpful. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily healing, I guess a little bit, but yeah. helpful in the sense that sure you're surrendering this situation, but you're able to take control of something else. Yeah. And that feels a lot better than yeah. just surrendering and waiting. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're just surrendering, surrendering yeah. and not pursuing anything for yourself and your own personal healing and growth and health, 
then you're just sitting there waiting going all right well let's just uh let's see what god does with this and it takes your mind better. off of it yeah and that would be miserable yeah like at least Go at find least a hobby. what you're saying is that yeah, <laughs> yeah. you you yeah. are you're pursuing something and you're growing yourself and you're focusing on yourself yeah. which you probably haven't been doing for years if years. you're in the situation yeah it was so helpful for me. I remember my mom and I started the Couch to 5K program, <laughs> which sounds so small. <laughs> but like, I remember I look back on that time and it was a sad time, but it was such a beautiful time between me and my mom mm-hmm. who all, she didn't know what to say because she didn't want to give me a whole lot of advice at the time because she didn't, she was biased. It's my mom. Right, right, right. You know, right. she, yeah. she wants to protect me. So all she did was, all right, let's start Couch to 5K. Let's go run a 5K. Yeah, yeah, and in the rain, snow, sleet, we went through all the seasons together of going through this. And I look back on that time. It was such a sweet time with her, you yeah. know. And um, so, yeah, just find something that, you, you know. That can it, bring some joy back yeah, for you. I, yeah, and it did. It really did. And I, I will say also my number one thing that I did was counseling. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan. I'm Me a huge too. supporter of counseling, even if everything's going well, even if your marriage is good, I think there's a, I think there's a thing about just talking through things. We, but, we started counseling yeah, at this phase I think it's once so things good. started getting better, um, but we still go yeah, today and our I think marriage it's is so good. good. And I just, yeah, it's just a good pulse reader. It's a good pulse reader. It's good to just, just have that there in place to keep things balanced, to yeah. keep things communicative like mm-hmm. it's just we yeah we got a lot out of it and yeah i'm a firm believer that everyone should be in counseling whether you're healthy or or, yeah. or going through things yeah and it helped me out so much during that season for sure um because i always thought about going back to her and calling her i don't even know if she'd remember me it's been so long it was back in knoxville oh okay so i mean it's been eight nine years ago but yeah. i wish i i just say well look at me now yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> look where <laughs> we're, we're at yeah um so what did what did getting clean look like, and what yeah. did reestablishing your relationship look oh, like? Gosh, I can't so... imagine that. That you have to re- you have to rebuild everything. Everything, yeah. It's a it's you're basically dating and marrying a whole new man. I know. And the one thing I actually I actually talked about this, I think you had just left to go to work. Katie and I are at the same table in our small group. Yeah. <laughs> I missed it. Yeah. I think you left, but the one thing I struggle with, I, I, I'm. It sounds like you might have a similar past. I don't know. I don't know. But I had pretty much no trauma in my childhood. Yeah. I had this most picturesque, yeah. beautiful childhood. My parents are amazing. Yeah. I, I had a great childhood. I didn't really deal with trauma at all. The trauma I went through was caused by my husband. Yeah. And it was weird. And let me just preface this by saying my husband didn't do anything extreme right. we don't have any of the the drugs or the alcohol or yeah. the affairs we don't have any of that in our story but we were so incredibly disconnected for so long it it was so painful mm-hmm. and i think that's super relatable for a lot of marriages i think a lot of marriages go through it and silently absolutely and it's hard it it was hard and occasionally it still is hard in um in reestablishing and 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 re- reestablishing our marriage and, and our relationship and and becoming close and bonded again that the person that we are loving and pursuing loving is also the person that's hurt us the worst yeah and that has 
that that is such it's so hard because a lot of people that have trauma in their past they don't let that person back into their life yeah. that person's kicked out right but we we're building the relationship <laughs> the closest most intimate relationship yeah. with the person who's also caused us the yeah. most pain and that's a really unique dynamic that i think is really hard to navigate yeah and it I was. Mean, obviously you guys have a, a solid marriage now yeah like what is that what does that even look what like it looks like that? to that's the hard part because the the biggest question that i get a lot from um moms and wives and all that is the trust uh-huh. how in the world do you ever begin to trust somebody now yeah and it is time it is time it is not overnight yeah so for me i didn't even talk to him for the first month so that was time the, uh that he was in that rehab. he was in the yeah. in the in the rehab in middle tennessee then i started talking to him like once or twice a week and then probably a couple months in i visited i visited him the first time mm-hmm. and was still very standoffish didn't even let him touch me really mm-hmm. um but I wanted to show that I was making an effort to move forward. Right. Because I wasn't over the marriage at that point. Right. Um, so, yeah, we just kind yeah, of started. you were like over the behavior. But over, you over the marriage. But I did notice yeah. things he was talking about was different at that point. Remember, because we had both surrendered at that point. Mm-hmm. So I knew something had happened in him that was different, that I was willing to explore. And so... Um, you know, he was in that rehab for 90 days. By the end of 90 days, I knew that I wanted to uh, stay in the marriage. Right. But I didn't know what that looked like because it scared the heck out of me for him to come home. Yeah. Well, he got offered um, to be an intern and stay in Middle Tennessee. So he stayed longer than the 90 days, which I was fine with. intern at the the rehab rehab center. Yeah. And again, this is S2O recovery. Yeah, you're just thinking this is a great thing. Yeah, I was like, you stay. I mean, (laughs) I'm fine. I'll come visit you on the weekends. But we'll make this long distance for right now. This will stick. Yeah. So he became an intern several months even after. So you're talking about a 90 day program, several months internship. And by this time, I was committed to making this marriage work. Um, I knew that I wanted to um, somehow gain trust back. They approached him about becoming staff, which meaning permanently put your roots down yeah. in Middle Tennessee. Again, I'm in Knoxville. And he's like, man, I don't think that's going to work. I'm trying to rebuild my marriage. I know she's wanting to work on it now. I've got to go back to Knoxville and work on this marriage. He was like, well, let me, He get, he's like, I gave them the church answer. Let me pray about it for three days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so he, cop out. Yeah. So he approached me. He's like, I know your answer. Your parents all live there. And I'm like super close to my family. I know the answer, but I just told him I'd pray about it. They asked me to come on staff. And so I was like, whatever. No. Um, so, I, of course, I prayed about it. Two days into my prayer time about it, my boss comes to me and says, hey, I just want to let you know um, we have a position available. It's a promotion, but the only thing is it's in Middle Tennessee in Murfreesboro, and you would have to move there. Wow. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I'm clear. Got it. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so scary as it was. I was going to say, it's hard. It, 
it sounds easy in hindsight, but yeah. in the moment, you're like, it, it, you probably, there's a lot of hesitate, it was. hesitation to be faithful. You're like, I heard you, but... But this is, this is the deal. <laughs> what if it doesn't, it doesn't work out? doesn't work great for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I did it. I, like I said, born and raised in Knoxville, true Vol fan. I mean, I know that's not important, but it was to me. I mean, I yeah. love Knoxville, and I still love it. I just love Knoxville. Um, and so I had to leave it. <laughs> I'm not you're bitter. S- yeah, you're still not quite over it. but <laughs> No, but I moved here. Um, but that probably is the best thing that it was. ever happened for you. It was husband, so it, good. It removed him from... Knoxville from, and those yeah, yeah. Like all the memories there and yeah. all of the the places that he knew to get his drugs there yeah. and all that yeah it was good and it was like a fresh start yeah yeah so I moved and didn't know anybody anybody in middle Tennessee I mean it was just interesting I mean just you and a bunch of addicts yeah. hanging out <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right what you got it was like whatever <laughs> so I ended up getting an apartment now the spring uh s2o recovery is um in Woodbury, Tennessee, and okay. my job was in Murfreesboro, so we lived in Murfreesboro, I mean, sorry, Smyrna, so we lived in Smyrna, he worked in Woodbury, so it was about a 30-minute drive every day, but... So, did you guys live together at this point Yeah, then? so okay. we, so you, he was able to move in, Yeah, we all was committed to making this marriage work, but yeah, the trust thing was not there at the time, but I knew that I was supposed to go. Right. I honestly can't even imagine how you establish boundaries with that because it's like, all right, so you get off, like you don't want to be his mom, but at the same time you're like, you get off work at five o'clock, so I will see you at 5.30. It's exactly a 30-minute drive. (laughs) You'll be here. And I was. And I will say this. I was that. I think you have to be. And he understood. I actually sat down and wrote like a checklist of everything that he had to do in order for him to live with me. And that was down to, I gave him an allowance every day and he had to bring me the receipts for everything that he bought down to the pity. Does he say that that was super helpful? Yeah. Yeah. And he tells guys now and the the guy's like, Oh, she's like, doesn't trust me. He's like, do you, well, do you understand? Right. He was like, well, this is what my wife made me do. And it was the best thing that she could have done to establish that trust. Yeah. She was like a helicopter wife. Yeah. You know, she, she knew my schedule. She knew how much I spent. She knew everything. She had drug test wait at home mm. at any point in time. She could give me a drug test and I was not allowed to get upset. Right. And I never did get upset when she thought maybe my eyes looked a little weird. I mean, it was down to you've got to set boundaries for yourself or you're never going to start trusting. But you have to start trusting. Right. Slowly you have to let the boundaries go. And that's hard. And that's what I have to tell some some ladies is like they just can't let it go. They can't. They're can't those, imagine how hard and I can't. Be, and it is hard. I said, but if you never let some of those boundaries go, you show them that you're never going to trust them. If, mm-hmm. if you keep holding on to it, you have to give them a little grace. So what I did was, he used to have was on a cash basis, bring home the receipts. Then he was on a cash basis. You don't have to bring them receipts. Mm-hmm. Then I slowly let him back onto our cards, card debit account. And then, you know what I mean? So I had to slowly give him some of those rights back, you know, and it's all about boundaries. 
it's honestly a lot like your kids. It really yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, when your kids show you that they can do, like, can handle something, you're like, okay, you did really good there. I'm going to give you a little bit more. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's so much. A little bit, so yeah. Much it really was. And, um, Except for your kid's like a, you know, 30-year-old man. Yeah, it's just true. It's fine. <laughs> it's true. It's fine. It's fine. And he, and the, and the, and the amazing thing about Adam was that he was prepared to deal with that for a really long time. Okay. And, and he never got upset about it because he knew what he did to me. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, if I ever wanted to look at his phone, cause that was a big thing back when he was, um, addicted, he never let me look at his phone. Yeah. So that was all also a red flag. So like I could look at his phone whenever he never was secretive. You know, it was, it was something that he slowly built that trust back. Now it doesn't happen overnight. It might not happen in a week, two weeks. It might not happen in six months. Mm -hmm. It might not happen in a year. And that's daunting for somebody that's going through that. Right. But it does happen. And I can honestly tell you now today, years and years and years removed from it, I trust Adam so completely. There's nothing in me that doesn't trust him. That's amazing. But it took a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so. But honestly, because you guys went through that, you actually might have more trust for him than a lot yeah. of couples do because they never even establish what that looks like to yeah. begin with. So that's, I mean, not that anyone should have to go through that, but that's incredible yeah. that you have gotten to that point where there's such a reconciliation in your guys' marriage. It's true. That's amazing. Yeah, only by the grace of God, so for sure. I, I know that um, different drugs have different levels of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's some drugs that almost no one gets clean from because mm-hmm. of how high of an addiction they are. Um, and then there's other ones that you can overcome maybe a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, easier is probably not the right word to have in that sentence, but you know what I yeah. mean. Um What's it like for Adam now? Where I mean, I I can imagine I don't know, I, I I've never used a drug before. Yeah, me neither. I don't know what, what it's like. Mm-hmm. In my head though, I'm thinking that some addictions maybe and maybe it's different probably too as as you get further down the road of being clean. Yeah. But some of them maybe there's certain drugs that you literally think about every single day and mm-hmm. every single day you have to fight that. Mm. Um, there might be others that it's like maybe just when you hit low seasons or if you have a certain trigger that you like have to fight that decision to be clean again. Yeah. Um, what's it like for Adam now? Okay. So, um, early on in his recovery, um, I asked him that Mm -hmm. and, um, he said, you know, I rarely ever think about it and I trusted him with that answer. But now, even if I were to ask him that, he would say he, I mean, he literally never thinks about it. Like he just, yeah, he never even thinks about it. One thing that they teach at S2O Recovery. um, So S2, you know, remember how I said he went to another rehab that was a 12-step program? Yep. They are not. They're um, a rarity uh, rehab. It's a Christian rehab. And they focus on, because a lot of times 12-step program, you have to identify as the addict. Hi, I'm Katie, and I'm an addict. Yep. And that's how they always identify as. So there's always that, okay, I'm always going to go back to that, maybe. Right. I could it's always a, potentially go back to that it's, identity. Yeah. yeah. Stuck identity. You that are an it. addict. Right. 
For S2O recovery, they are the complete opposite. And they find that once you find freedom from that addiction, and because they're Christ-centered, they find freedom in Christ. Yep. And Christ fills that void. So once they become clean on the inside in their soul, then you're no longer an addict. Got it. So they don't you're identify as an addi- addiction. from the identity. Like it's right. no longer part of you. Got it. So that's where they, they differ now. I actually talked about this yesterday in a small group, but they say that with not trying to be naive into the world pressures. They put stuff in their lives for these guys to, they call them pillars. Mm-hmm. Um, that way, when they go back to their home, that they can get involved in a church, get involved in a small group, read your Bible every day. They do things, don't go hang out with your your old friends. Mm -hmm. There's different things that they talk about doing in their lives so that they don't go back to that old lifestyle. So, and one of the illustrations that Adam uses a lot with the guys is um, that he, he says, treat the addiction like somebody that's coming in to rob and kill your family. Like you're not going to be sitting there eating dinner on the dinner table and this this guy comes through the front door and be like, all right, you can come in just a little bit. It's fine. It's, it's fine. Right. No, you are going to fight tooth and nail from him robbing and killing your family. You will kill. You will, you will do anything you can to get him out of your house. And that's like the addiction in your body. Yeah. Treat it as if somebody's coming. Because it did. It almost took his family mm-hmm. the addiction almost took his family and almost killed his lo- killed himself mm-hmm. it almost did the same thing as that so you've got to do everything you can to stop him from even coming in so yeah he, they treat it as that's just not something that's even a part of their identity yeah um but like you said i'm sure that there's certain um like alcohol for example i'm sure there's some other drugs that are heavier that yeah, I've always heard heroin's like a heroin's really a harder ones. one. Meth, you yeah. know, those are kind of the harder drugs. But they have guys coming in all the time, um, getting clean from those and staying clean. Yeah, um, their percentage of success is like I want to say it's. I think the national average is twelve percent of wow. guys stay clean. The national average S two L recovery is like sixty percent of guys stay clean. Wow. Um, so there's something about changing the inside of your, you know, your life Mm -hmm. and not identifying as that anymore that because some guys come in the program, never heard that. They're like, wait, what? I don't have to say that I'm an addict. Right. Yeah. No, that's news to me too. Yeah. But I, I, I like the 12 step program for what I know from it. Um, for sure. But I've never thought about that. And yet Mm -hmm. you saying that actually fits into like kind of my life philosophy. Yeah. Uh, much better than being like, well, no, if I was once this, I'm always this. I'm always yeah. like, no, like, yeah, it's we, not we can evolve. True. We can change. evolve. Yeah. And yeah. it's and the best thing you can do is not speak that into yourself. Like, yeah. And just say like, oh, but I'm this. He's completely changed. Yeah. He's completely re- renewed. And Adam is completely a different person than he was nine, 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really cool to see. That is amazing. Yeah. So what what's Adam doing now? Is he still working there? Yeah, it's really it's really awesome. Um, you know that story I was telling you about that lady saying, "Just give it one more chance." Mm-hmm. I always love to wrap that back around because that one more chance turned into him 
actually becoming like a CEO and pastor of S2L Recovery. Um, so he like runs the program. It's amazing. And it houses uh, 20 plus guys, inpatient guys. And uh, lots of guys getting freedom from addiction through that. A lot of marriages saved. A lot of families saved through the program. And he, we have two kids now. Mm-hmm. So that one chance um, found freedom, freedom yeah. from addiction, CEO of the ministry, two kids, a house. S- some of our closest friends that we'll ever have live here now. Yeah. It's really cool just to see what one more chance to give. And it didn't always turn out like that. And I get that. And I counsel women who it didn't turn out like that. And I'm not naive to that, but it did for us. And there is freedom from that addiction for him. And I have every bit of trust um, in my husband now. Um, He actually has, we were talking about this. He has a podcast. If anybody ever wants to check that out, if they're loved one is addicted or it's life after addiction. It's a podcast you can go find it. I think as an elephant sitting on a bench, that's kind of like the picture yeah, of it. Yeah. MJ, you're the picture of yours, but, yeah. um, but it's life after addiction. If you ever want to check that out, I have some really good resources for you for that specifically dealing with addiction. Yeah. So. That's amazing. How has this changed? Obviously your husband lives a pretty public life yeah. with recovery because mm-hmm. that's what that's he's literally chosen a career in that um or maybe it's chosen him more yeah, so it's true it's probably true <laughs> but he never but would have probably but how does this change your approach to how you guys raise your kids with this idea of addiction and, and this yeah so that's a really good question um and something that adam and i have talked about um as they get older they're obviously going to know our story because we mm-hmm. speak about it so much and we speak, we go and travel and speak about it so much, but they're four and two, so they don't quite know what addiction is and For we've sure. never even brought it up to them yet. Um, but we encourage open dialogue with them a lot. Um, we encourage them to be honest with us a lot and really harp on um, telling lies, telling yep. versus the truth. Because we can even see in their little four-year-old self where they don't really want to tell the truth because they know it's going to get them in trouble. For but sure. Adam sits them down. He's been so good watching him be a father and really instilling some of the values that comers don't lie. Yeah, We just don't lie. And um, we we pray a lot over them that they don't have the same past as Adam does, but we know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we just pray a lot over them. We talk, we have open dialogue about them being honest, no lying. So just kind of the basics right now as a four and two year old. And, um, but we've talked about being very open and honest with, um, our testimony with them mm-hmm. and they're naturally going to hear it a lot too. Right. So I think your kids learn a lot from you and having that open dialogue is something that's going to be very important. It's going to be scary. I think when we first tell them like sit down and tell them when that we feel like they can understand what daddy went through, but, um, that's something that we definitely want to be open with them about. So, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. We, one of our favorite shows on TV is, um, million little things. Have you seen? Oh no, I've heard a lot about it though. Um, and on the episode this past week, um, one of the guys is a recovering alcoholic. Oh, okay. And he tells like his eight-ish year old son that he has this past. And it was oh, just really, it yeah. was really powerful. So. Yeah. 
Um, I think that's amazing. I think one of the best things any of us can do is just encourage open dialogue with our kids yeah. and, and let them know that the the consequence for lying is much greater than the consequence of whatever you did that you need to like yeah. confess over. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. What, so, okay. So looking back on the whole thing and, um, you know, it's, it's amazing that we can look at your story and I hope that for anyone listening to this, that is in the same shoes as you were either as the addict or as the spouse of the addict Mm -hmm. or even just a supportive family member, um, who, who loves the person, just that there are stories of hope out there. Um, but looking back on the entire journey, going from rock bottom, being separated and hoping you didn't get a phone call over his death mm-hmm. to now having a healthy, strong marriage, having two kids, being on your two feet, paying all your bills, yeah. all those kinds yeah. of things yeah. that weren't there the in place. Yeah. yeah, yeah, being real adults. Um, what are some things that you are really proud that you did over the course of that whole time. Hmm. One of the things that I'm probably most proud of is confessing to my friends and family. Mm-hmm. I think that was the very first step because that um, helped me not feel alone. And once you feel alone, there you feel like there's no hope. And so as hard as it is, as much as you think that they're always going to look at him differently you got to tell somebody yeah tell your friends and your family my family is completely 100% loves Adam it was hard for them to see him go through that Mm -hmm. and for him to treat me that way and they had to rebuild that relationship too just like I did Um, but they 100% love and trust him now and love the life that we built here and so um, it was hard at the time but it gets better yeah uh, so being open and honest with your friends uh, and your family would be probably my number one thing. And getting help for yourself, whatever that looks like for you, would be probably my number two. Yeah. Just counseling. Can't harp on it enough. Go get counseling, professional counseling. And just doing something for yourself. Go get your hair done. Do something, yeah. you know, that makes you feel good about yourself, Yeah. you know. Um, and cared for. Yeah. And that you're, yeah, you're valued Yeah, and you have been so not valued for so long that, yeah, I'm going to go get my hair done. I'm going to go get it highlighted and cover up some of my grays. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So, so yeah, for sure that, um, and another thing that I'm proud of is believing that there can be change because, there's so many times I've talked to people that just can't get there and can't, there's just no way that they can believe that there's change. But once they release that control and they Mm -hmm. surrender it, like we were talking about, I think that I'm most proud that I surrendered it and, um, was able to see and, um, accept the change in Adam and giving him one one more chance. That's amazing. That's amazing. That reminds me of, I once had a friend and um, her parents were divorced and she she once said that one of the best things her mom ever taught her is that men don't change. Yeah. 
And yeah, I oh. remember how yeah. bad it rocked me when she said that because yeah, it's hard. just not, it goes so against what I believe. And not everyone changes. Yeah. But everyone's capable of they change. They are. They are. Yeah. And that's amazing that, um, and, and, and as, and as much as being naive came into play mm-hmm. as a negative in this whole story for you of maybe not seeing signs sooner yeah. and letting things go longer than they should have any of those things, I think what, cause I'm similar. I'm, I'm, I've never necessarily used the term naive, but like, I'm just so full of hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that that's kind of the flip side of the coin. You can be naive on one side and that sometimes um, hurts things. But on the flip side of that, you also had hope the whole time that things could get better. And I think that far outweighs the detriment that that being naive could have caused you. I think knowing that there was a chance for change and there was a chance to be restored. Yeah, I'm proud of that. Yeah. That's amazing. For sure. That's awesome. Yep. And I'm proud of him. And I'm proud of our family and what we've built together. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's awesome. It's amazing. He's he's now, both of you guys are now using your, your story to yeah. help a lot of other people too. Yeah. And there's awesome. so many people that deal with it. Um, Quietly they, too. They just deal with it silently. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't, say, don't I, deal with it silently. I never, yeah. again, because I'm like the goody two shoes that never used drugs ever. (laughs) I never would have imagined how many people are on drugs until my husband became a police officer. It's crazy. And like almost every traffic stop, there's drugs in the car. And I'm like, really? Yeah. And he's like, almost everyone. People are just driving around with drugs on them all the time. He's like, almost everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You, if you're listening to this and I guarantee some, everybody that's listening knows at least somebody in their family yeah. or a close friend that has dealt with addiction. Uh, and it's sad. It's really, it's, it's really sad, but there's hope and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm proof of it. And I, I love talking to women and love talking about our story and where we came from and where we are now. So it's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much yeah. for blessing my podcast with your guys' story and for bringing it here. And hopefully it can reach a whole new set of ears and people out there that really need to hear it. I hope so. so. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Katie. All right. Mm-hmm.